0: listening to the Maniculum, pointing the finger at the Middle Ages. We bring you the choicest medieval nonsense. Discuss and evaluate it, then pillage it for our own geeky purposes. Hello everyone, I'm back. It's Zoe, a professional game developer, and I'm here with my co-host as always, Mac, a PhD candidate at Purdue University. We are medievalists who teach you how to adapt weird medieval stories into TTRPGs. And today we are back with our, I guess, third annual Halloween special. Yep. Happy Halloween. Happy Samhain. Happy Day of the Dead. Whatever spooky season you celebrate. Happy spooky season. Yeah. All in all. Yeah. But before we jump into today's stories, there's a few... Quick updates. First off, don't forget we have a fantastic growing Discord community. So do check out our Discord. Our links for that are down in the show notes or the description, wherever that is for you on your podcasting app. And we also have all of our regular other social media. So if you would prefer not to go on Discord, we also have Instagram, Twitter, X, whatever it's called now. We've got Tumblr. We've got, what else do we have? Twitter. Instagram.
1: I think we still have Mastodon, although I just set that one up to mirror what we have on Twitter, and I'm not sure if that still works, so I may have to go back and check on that.
0: We will check on that one, but that one's there. We should probably start a Threads at some point. I don't know what the deal is with Twitter and social media for that now. Yeah, I don't know. I've
1: I've been avoiding the Twitter clones
0: I don't... It's all wild. So anyway, we're still on former
1: Twitter, but... I've been enjoying hanging out on Tumblr. That's where I'm most active these days.
0: Yeah. Oh, the Tumblr is great. Definitely check out the Tumblr. But yeah, we also have contact forms on our website. So if you don't like any of the above, we've got a website. So check out our website. That's there too. And you can email us. You can always email us. So we're available. We're here. But also, speaking of getting in contact with us, we had quest friends the show reach out and we're doing a promo swap with them so here goes hello everyone happy halloween and in this season we wanted to shout out our very special friends over at the quest friends podcast for those of you who like halloween and all things spooky they are doing a halloween special this year so please do check them out but first, what is Quest Friends? Well, what if the World of the Dead was only a plain ride away? Quest Friends is an improvised supernatural comedy podcast where five best friends explore everyday life in the afterlife. From trash possum Pokemon to overdramatic noir mysteries to the honestly pitiful skeleton of Grigory Rasputin, Listen as these friends play through absurd adventures inspired by cartoons like The Owl House and Gravity Falls. These characters are over the top, the comedy is good-spirited, and the puns never, ever end. You can find more information about Quest Friends at questfriendspodcast.com, or you can start listening right away for free by searching Quest Friends, with the exclamation point, don't forget about that, on your favorite podcasting app now. And this podcast is super fun, super light-hearted. They're an absolute joy to listen to. And a little bit more information, Quest Friends uses the role-playing system Under the Neighborhood. This is powered by the Apocalypse TTRPG system and is designed to emulate adventures from cartoons like Amphibia and The Owl House, Gravity Falls, things like that. It's super cool and upcoming episodes include their Halloween special on October 30th and this is a perfect time to get started listening to them because their next episode on November 13th is the story so far and the following one is the Siren in the dead city So if you want to go ahead and give them some love you can check them out at questfriendspodcast.com or look them up quest friends with that exclamation point don't forget that. Alrighty, and with that, back to your regularly scheduled nonsense podcast. But anyway, this week, we're back with our Halloween episode, and Mac, you have prepared a story for us tonight.
1: I have prepared several stories.
0: Ooh, okay.
1: So, listeners may remember that last Halloween, I collected a whole bunch of medieval stories about the undead for us to read. But I did so a bit overzealously, so we did not get through all of them. And... You know us, listeners. I think we got through, like, two. Oh, we got through several, but a lot of them were pretty short. Fair, fair. So, since we still had this stack of stories, I figured we should come back to it and do the rest. Or at least more of them. Can't guarantee we'll finish this time either.
0: All right. And, listeners, will remember who were there from last year. It was basically the undead, right? We covered zombies for the most part.
1: Yeah, and some possessions. Ooh. So are we
0: continuing with that theme? We
1: are. Ooh, okay. All right. The idea was originally, we'll do a vampires episode to fit with that werewolf episode we did on our first year, but the modern vampire does not exist in the medieval period.
0: That's true. Unfortunately.
1: So it's just the undead generally. Yes.
0: It's one of those things, vampires, where that really did kind of come about or was at least brought into popularity through Bram Stoker's Dracula. And that was what, 1800s? So that was fairly late. That
1: sounds right. Might have been 1700s.
0: Let me check. Because Stoker, believe it or not, was Irish.
1: He was Irish. That is true. 1897. You are correct.
0: There we go. It's a good, good year for horror, really. Yeah. That turn of the century
1: don't know why i keep thinking this book is older than it is
0: dracula yeah i think it's probably because it's written in kind of that archaic-y style like it's it's written in pieces like here's a diary here's a newspaper article and then it kind of goes into actual prose
1: it might also be that i keep assuming that it's like roughly contemporaneous with frankenstein which it isn't oh
0: it's frankenstein's
1: that too. late 18th century yeah yeah i think now a i've got earlier i know um, doubting that it's
0: definitely earlier
1: 1818 apparently
0: yeah that's that's okay so it's almost 80 years, years, years earlier yeah
1: so i'm thinking both of these are older than they are which is which is on me.
0: <laughs> i mean that's what i feel like we tend to do as medievalists we look at a story and we're like surely that's not the original
1: oh it's set in the 18th century but it's written uh, in
0: the 19th. okay okay that makes more sense yeah yeah uh, okay but anyway, modernisms aside.
1: Right, yes. Undead. So, let's get to it. These are all from different sources, although there are a couple that I will go back to more than once. The one that we closed out on last year that I think our listeners may remember best because we spent some time comparing it to the characters from Supernatural.
0: <laughs> yep. Was yep. a
1: story by the author William of Newburgh. Neuberg, Newburgh? However... And this next author is almost exactly contemporaneous with William of Newburgh. They're both born in the 1130s and lived to around the turn of the century.
0: That's pretty early for a medieval text.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's England, so this is post-Old English period, but...
0: True. Yeah, this
1: is before like manuscript production really peaked.
0: Yeah, because when most people think of the medieval period, they're thinking thirteen, fourteen hundreds, like the rise of chivalry and knights and that sort of thing, the chivalric romances and da-da-da-da-da. This is before that.
1: Yeah, and I think one of the reasons that we have that association is just because that's the period that most manuscripts are from because that's, you know, they don't survive. And the first, like, half of the medieval period, there just weren't as many being written. True, yep. Anyway, like I said... Both 12th century, both British, not both English. William of Newburgh is from Yorkshire. Uh, Walter Mapp is from Wales, which was an independent sovereign nation at that time, not part of the United Kingdom, which is a later thing. Massive oversimplification of Welsh history there. But we are, in fact, talking about a period where Wales was largely unified and pretty independent and you can look up the details on that on your own. We don't have time right now.
0: Yep. And also, if I recall correctly, William of Newburgh took these different stories and wrote them down. Like, he heard them. Yes. Because he said, like, oh, he got this from a monk who was there. Yes, right? exactly. So he collected them. So not all of them were, like, English-English, even though this is an English
1: text. Yes. Or William's was. Right. But this one's Welsh. Kind of. The author's Welsh.
0: The author's Welsh.
1: Mapp was a member of the English court, however. He was one of Henry II's, like, courtiers. And near the end of his life, he became Archdeacon of Oxford.
0: What a title. Archdeacon? Yeah, that's good. We, we need some of those. Like, forget Archfiend. Forget Lich. I want to be an
1: Archdeacon. I'm sure they still exist.
0: That sounds like you're doing a campaign and you, like, fight the church And before you fight the Pope, you have to fight the
1: archdeacon. I mean, I think that's basically it. Like, it's just a high-level clerical (laughs) position. As far as I can tell, it's just, like, right below a bishop.
0: That makes sense. So Oxford here is not the university. This is, like, the actual town of Oxford.
1: That's an excellent question. Probably. I can't
0: imagine that Oxford University has an archdeacon.
1: I mean, a lot of medieval universities were more or less run by the church.
0: That's true, too. They're
1: all Christian institutions. Let's see. um, Yeah, the Diocese of Oxford contains the whole town.
0: Yeah. So that includes the university, but not it especially. Anyway, I got us off track with this archdeacon.
1: Right. So back on track, back on track. It is alleged that Walter Mapp wrote quite prolifically, but his only surviving work is a collection of anecdotes known as the courtier's trifles.
0: That's amazing. Definitely steal that for, like, a chocolate shop or something for your campaign.
1: (laughs) So here's a bit out of The Courteous Trifles that's kind of a similar vibe as William of Newburgh, actually. This is Chapter 27, Concerning a Certain Marvel.
0: Ooh, okay.
1: The greatest marvel that I know happened in Wales. William Loudon, an English soldier, sturdy in his strength and of established courage, went to Gilbert Folio, Folio, whatever at that time Bishop of Hereford, but now of London, and said to him, Master, I flee to thee for advice. A certain Welsh malefactor died in my house not long ago. <laughs>
0: Wait, how did you get into that situation, sir? You just, first of all, you're inviting malefactors to your house, and this guy happened to die in your house?
1: Maybe he didn't realize he was a malefactor when he invited him in.
0: Sketchy, but okay.
1: Oh, I see. I know why he's a malefactor. Not long ago, comma, a non-believer. Oh, oh, okay. Rip. After an interval of four nights, he hath never failed to return each night, and hath not ceased summoning forth one by one and by name all his fellow lodgers as soon as they are summoned they grow ill and die within 3 days so that now only a few survive
0: okay so he like this this guy shows up at his house mm-hmm. and invites a bunch of other people into the house and over the course of 3 days all of those people grow sick and die
1: the way i'm reading it is this house in question is maybe not officially a boarding house, but there's lots of people staying there.
0: That makes sense. It's like a, a pub, essentially, or an inn, something like that. Yeah,
1: or maybe just, like, a big house. Because, you know, that that's why mansions used to be large, is because it was expected that you'd have guests and lodgers pretty much at all times.
0: Yeah, like, think of um, Pride and Prejudice, where they just go to other people's houses and stay for, like, weeks at a time. Yeah. That feels very weird to us, but that was the culture.
1: Yeah, I don't think it's clear which of these options it is. I think it could be either one. Yeah, it seems weird to us now because now mansions are big to show you have money, but it used to be that there was a reason for that. Yes. It was also to show you had money, but there were other purposes.
0: At least you helped people.
1: <laughs> Mostly other rich people, but yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. It wasn't just like, oh, we need a big house, so we're going to put a lot of extra empty rooms in there to make it big. Anyway, yeah. Anyway, before we get off on judging modern conspicuous consumption, what I think is happening is there are a bunch of people staying in this house. This malefactor was one of them. He died there. And that now every night he returns and like calls out the names of the other people staying there. And this causes them to grow sick and die.
0: Oh, so he's the revenant. Yeah. He's the ghost. I see.
1: Yeah. So he's like cursing them, basically. There's there's a curse on the place. It's being haunted. That's cool. Alright. The bishop in his wonderment replied, Power perchance was given by God to the evil angel of that wretch to render him restless in his dead body.
0: I didn't expect that.
1: Well, I mean, who else would do it?
0: That's fair. Like, I suppose I took for granted this assumption that like, oh yes, God allows all things to happen, but it's through Satan's power that the demons come to like,
1: steal souls you know, that would be perhaps more politic for him to pitch, other than other than saying like I think God cursed your house
0: I mean, he came right out with it which I appreciate like, if I'm I'm going to my local bishop for help, this is what I want to hear
1: However, continues the bishop, dig up the corpse, cut the neck, and besprinkle the body and the grave with holy water, and then rebury it. Although this was done, nonetheless were the survivors assailed by the restless spirit. So the bishop's advice doesn't work.
0: Yes, well, this makes sense with modern germ theory.
1: (laughs) Oh, you you think that digging him up caused an additional infection?
0: Oh, not even that. I'm just saying, like, how often do you think that... These people who are sharing the same space, probably like in unwashed bed sheets. like they probably beat them out, mm-hmm. but that's not going to get rid of bacteria or whatever. So they're probably just staying in the same bed and dying.
1: Oh, so you're saying, yeah, so they, there's just a sickness in the house. Someone got yeah. sick and they're just kind of still passing it around.
0: Yeah, basically.
1: The ghost is separate.
0: Yeah, the ghost is separate. But I also really like this idea because it's it's very common nowadays that you cut off something's head and like you're, you're good now, mm-hmm. right? And I was going to comment on that. I was like, yeah, that seems reasonable because I think that's what happened last time, right? Like Sam and Dean cut off the, the thing's head and then they also took its heart.
1: Uh, let me scroll up a bit. I think it was something like that. Yes, they tore. I, I don't think they took off its head. But they tore out its heart.
0: They tore out its heart. Oh, okay. Oh, I guess it was, um, who's the Viking? Gretir, who cut off Glum's head and stuck it between his thighs, is that the one?
1: Yes, Gretir, I don't know if he did that with Glaum, but he definitely did that with Car the Old, and I I think that might have been just his standard method of dealing with the undead.
0: Undead, yeah, you cut off its head and you stick it basically under its butt, Yeah, is the plan. But that didn't work in this case.
1: Well, he didn't stick it under its butt.
0: True, he just cut off the head. Yeah. The holy water didn't really help.
1: Honestly, it doesn't even specify that he cut off the head, just that he cut the neck. It doesn't say he cut through.
0: See, the bishop's giving bad advice. You gotta be thorough with this.
1: All right, so anyway, on a certain night, therefore, William himself, that's the British soldier who owns this house, since now but a few were left, was summoned thrice, presumably by the ghost, I think is what that means. And he, bold and active as he was, knowing full well what the summons signified, drew his sword and rushed out.
0: I like it. He's ready for death.
1: As the demon fled, he pursued it to the very grave, and as it lay therein, he clave its head to the neck.
0: I'm telling you, you gotta
1: be thorough. You gotta go all the way. From that hour, cease the persecution from this ghostly wanderer. Nor henceforth did William or any other suffer harm therefrom. So, yeah. There you go. I'm not sure if the holy water was relevant. I guess it's still in the grave, so maybe it still counts. But, yeah, you have to hit it harder with your sword is the solution yeah. here.
0: You gotta cleave it in twain. Yeah. You gotta, you can't just cut the neck. You can't just pinprick this thing.
1: No, you, you gotta sword it better.
0: You gotta, yeah. Go all the way through. I'm going to pause it, and I want to see if this is a trend that cutting off the head is is how you get rid of revenants, sort of. I just want to see if it's like a cross-cultural thing.
1: Hmm, that would be an interesting thing to look into.
0: Yeah, like we see that with the Vikings. We're seeing it here. Have we seen that elsewhere?
1: Don't remember it off the top of my head, but also I don't. I haven't read all that much with the undead other than this little collection of stories I have here now.
0: Yeah, let's follow this thread and see where it leads. Okay, all right.
1: All right, there's one more sentence in this story. Oh, okay. And then another shorter story that follows it immediately.
0: All right, let's go. All right.
1: This one wraps up. The manner of this thing we know. Of its cause, we are ignorant. We know what happened, we just don't know why. End of story.
0: <laughs> I mean, that's one thing I love about these medieval tales is- they're like, oh, yeah, we know how to deal with the dead people coming back. What brings them back? No f***ing idea. But we know how to deal with it. And really,
1: what more do you want? <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. All right. All right. This one is entitled Another Marvel. It is the next chapter of Walter Map. We also know that in the time of Bishop Roger of Worcester, or possibly Worcester, however you say that,
0: it's Worcestershire, like Worcestershire sauce.
1: Fair enough. Which I always remember by imagining someone being very confused about it. What's this here sauce?
0: Worcestershire sauce. Worcestershire, Worcestershire, Worcestershire. <laughs> whatever, whatever, whatever. <laughs> the, the The podcast is degrading. Okay, <laughs> onward before I keep mumbling to myself.
1: Uh, anyway, Bishop Roger of, of Worcester, a certain man who, it was said, died in unbelief, so not a very good bishop, For a month, or-
0: Whoa, wait, yeah, oh, I put that together a little late. Died in unbelief.
1: Yeah, I, I guess either, like, he was never really that religious and he just liked being a bishop, like, for the money and the power, or maybe he lost his faith at some point.
0: And they just put that there, like, it's, like, just a little addendum, just sprinkle that in?
1: Well, it's gonna be important.
0: Okay, I wanna know more. Okay,
1: keep going. All right, now, presumably because he died in unbelief- For a month or even longer, both day and night, he wandered about, seen of all, in his hair shirt, until he was surrounded in an orchard by all the people of the neighborhood.
0: They're like, you can't keep walking around, man. Like, you're wearing this weird shirt. It's not a good look for the neighborhood. It's lowering property value. (laughs) You gotta stop.
1: (laughs) Are you suggesting that he's being exorcised by the HOA?
0: Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. You think that an HOA wouldn't? They so would. There are dues for these things.
1: I believe they would. I don't believe they could, because I don't think they have any actual, like, competency to draw upon.
0: An HOA?
1: Well, they're just assholes with, like, a contract. Like, I don't think they can exercise people.
0: It depends on how malicious they are.
1: I believe they'd try. (laughs) I just think they'd be bad at it.
0: That's fair. That's fair. Okay, so the HOA gathers.
1: Yes. He was seen there in the orchard, it is said, for three days. We know... what? what? Huh? Huh? Hold on. Okay, backing up. Due to confusing sentence structure, I have been slandering a bishop. <laughs> How this started is, in the time of Bishop Roger of Worcester... A certain man, who is a separate person, died in unbelief and started haunting the place.
0: Okay, okay. I was gonna say, like, I don't think they would just come out and say the bishop died as an unbeliever. Right. They're He's taken that secret to his grave. Okay, but anyway, this other dude...
1: Yes. So, he was seen in the orchard for three days. We know, moreover, that this same Bishop Roger, who is not dead and presumably is Christian... Bad a cross be raised over the grave of this wretch and his spirit to be laid. So, like, they do the the rite over the grave and put up a cross. When the demon, who is, I guess, the undead creature, had come to the grave, followed by a crowd of people, he leapt back, seemingly at the sight of the cross, and fled elsewhere.
0: Ah, yes, because that is how unbelievers act when shown the cross.
1: Well, maybe if they're, like, undead also.
0: I suppose that, that makes more sense. Which is very characteristic of a vampire, speaking of.
1: Yeah. So. Personally, as an unbeliever, if someone brandished a cross at me, I'd leave. Because that's someone I don't want to be around.
0: That's fair, yeah. Like, you don't really want to be around the the waving, screaming. It's like the lady in the, the Costco. There was a video of a lady in a Costco who didn't like one of the animatronic skeletons For the Halloween display. And so she has her little cross necklace and she's holding it up, like screaming at it to try and exercise it. It's like, lady, honey, it's battery powered.
1: (laughs) Did she come here from like the 1600s? I don't know. It's a machine. Do you not know what machines are?
0: She was dead set on this, though. You can look it up. It's a wild video. Okay, but also it says at the beginning he's wearing a hair shirt. Yep. And I just looked this up because I was like,
1: that's a Lent thing. I think it's a general penance thing.
0: It is. So quoting from the Handwoven Magazine, The History of Hair Shirts, I'll link this in our show notes. Hair shirts are garments made from rough animal hair, usually of a goat, worn as a top or under a shirt and against the skin so the coarse hair will rub and scratch the wearer. The discomfort serves as both an act of penitence and a constant reminder of faith so as to better avoid the temptation to sin. Some hair shirts even included bits of spiked metal meant to inflict pain and injury. These modified hair shirts were usually typically used only by the most penitential of believers.
1: I passed over it because I thought we were talking about the bishop, and I was like, yeah, yeah sure, the bishop has a hair shirt. Yep. But now that we're talking about someone who's apparently not a believer, why does he own a hair shirt? I don't know. Like, was it just conjured into existence when his spirit rose as like involuntary penance?
0: It says here that this will make sense in a second. Thomas Beckett was wearing one when he was assassinated, which that's a fun fact. Thomas More wore one while he was imprisoned in the Tower of London and Charlemagne was buried in one. So I kind of wonder if this was like a, oh, he was buried in a hair shirt as an act of penance because he was an unbeliever.
1: Possibly. I guess that's a decision that people might make. I'm not sure if that was a common thing.
0: It doesn't sound like a decision that he would have made. Right. But so anyway, he just pops up and presumably he's wearing basically a rough tanned inside out leather hide. Yes. That's what he's wearing. Running around in this thing in the orchard and the HOA's just not having it.
1: Right. So they like consecrate the grave. They put up a cross. He runs yep. away from the cross. Then... yep. The people, acting upon wise advice, removed the cross, and the demon fell into the grave, covered himself with earth, and after the cross was raised again, lay in peace.
0: See, that makes more sense. They just, they did the ritual wrong.
1: Yeah, because he was like, I'm not getting in there, there's a cross. And they're like, ah, but there's if we take away there. the cross, and he's like, okay, that's fine. That's my grave. And they're like, haha, the cross is back. And now <laughs> now can't you're get stuck.
0: Out See, this makes, this makes a lot of sense. I feel like this episode is slowly turning into how people did medieval magic incorrectly. (laughs) Because that's what's happening here. It happened incorrectly in our first story where he didn't cut off his head all the way the first time. Mm -hmm. And now this time you can't put the cross in the place where you want the undead guy to go. Right. It's like border collies herding sheep. Yeah. Yeah. There's an idea for a necromancer.
1: A border collie?
0: No, like you raise the dead people and in order to get them where you want to go, you have to like herd them
1: with your holy symbol. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There
0: you go. Okay, that makes sense.
1: Are you ready for our next story?
0: Yes. What other magical incompetence will we find?
1: This is going back to a source that we read a couple excerpts from last year. This is Caesarius of Heisterbach, a Cistercian prior from 13th century Germany. His book is called The Dialogue on Miracles, and it is a massive collection of religious exempla in the form of a dialogue between a monk and a novice.
0: Ah, yes, I remember this one. Ten out of ten name, too.
1: Yeah, I think you said that last time also. It's a good name. It's
0: really good.
1: All right, so we've got two excerpts from Saizir. says, Mr. of Heisterbach. Yes. Right here, and if I am reading my notation correctly, this is from Book 17, Chapters 18 and 19. Chapter 18 is entitled, Of a dead knight who at night hung snakes and toads instead of fish in front of his son's door.
0: <laughs> yes, ah, uh, yes, the well-known tradition of hanging fish in front of your son's door. <laughs> right? Yes. What does that do? I... <laughs>
1: It gives your son fish.
0: I guess. Is this like to keep him in his room? He's like, oh, those smell terrible. I'm not coming out. (laughs) Or is this like a weird thing where somehow through medieval Christianity, instead of like smearing the blood of the lamb outside of the doorframe, they're like, oh, obviously bread and loaves and the fish. And so clearly we're we're putting fish in front of the doorframe instead of lamb's blood.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a very lamb-like fish. I guess. <laughs> you know, it's the Jesus fish.
0: It, I, I guess. So, okay, so he puts snakes and toads instead of fish in front of his son's door. Yes.
1: While dead should be While clear. While dead. That's right. All right, so here's the story. A certain knight, at his death, bequeathed his property acquired by usury to his son. All right. To remind any listeners who may not be aware, usury is the sin of charging interest. U- yep. Used to not be allowed, but that has, that that's no longer the case.
0: Which I would like to point out here, this, I guess, tradition slash doctrine of like not charging interest turned into a horrible stigma for Jews yep. because Jews were allowed to charge interest while Christians couldn't
1: yeah basically it's the reason why there's that whole weird thing about yeah. finance in that's where that thread of anti-Semitism comes from
0: comes from is from this Christian tradition yeah and also like because Jews one could only be sometimes in certain districts or could only practice certain professions in the medieval world they were forced into banking essentially which sounds like oh no they were forced into banking but when it comes with the stigma of, oh, those Jews are going to charge us interest and that's a sin. They're also unbelievers. It creates more and more stigma towards, you know, Jews and Jewish culture and so on and so forth because they can't do anything else.
1: Yeah. And there are also multiple incidents where like if the crown got in debt, they would just go like, hey, guess what? We're banishing Jews from the country. Yep. And that's how the crown would clear its debts.
0: Ta-da! Yeah. Which is
1: f***ed up on several levels. It's so f***ed
0: up. But anyway, the more you know. So that's where that comes from. I just wanted to put that out there because I think a lot of people don't know that about Christian history and also like Judaism and, and Jewish history. And it's something that really bothers me because like we understand we know those stereotypes. But if you don't know where they come from, like, no, 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 that's that's Christians perpetrating that. Yep. Just so we're all aware. Yeah.
1: Anyway, now that we've acknowledged the <laughs> long tradition of anti-Semitism, sorry to get that heavy on our Halloween episode, but...
0: It's important. I, th- I feel like it's really important to highlight. It
1: is. It is. We, we can't when we, ignore when that. When we
0: have the platform, we need to use that. Accurate.
1: True. But the point is, this knight has his property because he committed usury. And he bequeathed it to his son when he died. One night, he, the dead guy, knocked loudly at the door, and when a page ran and asked why he knocked, he replied, let me in, I am the lord of this land, and gave his name.
0: I guess, like, you you gave it to your son, but I, I guess.
1: Yeah, but, I mean, also, reasonable answer, like, why are you knocking? I live here, let me in. True, 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 true. The boy, the page, looked out through the grill and, recognizing him, said, My master is certainly dead. I will not let you in. Smart man. And when the dead man went on knocking, without any effect, at last he said, Take these fish on which I live to my son. Look you, I am hanging them on the door. It's
0: just like a a delivery.
1: Yeah, it's just like, I live on fish now. I'm bringing some to my son. I'm going to put them on the door.
0: I get that. That's 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 kind. All right.
1: In the morning, when they went out, they found in a sort of bundle a quantity of toads and snakes instead of the fish. I see. In fact, that is the food in hell, and it is cooked in the sulfurous flames. End of story.
0: <laughs> There's so many questions, though. What do you mean that's the end?
1: That's it. He said he was delivering fish, but they were toads and snakes because that's the kind of food you eat in hell.
0: Well, I guess this is a morality lesson about usury.
1: Apparently. I think the only reason that's mentioned is so there's a reason why he went to hell.
0: That makes sense. I kind of like that. It's kind of like a morality tale. Like, hey, if you charge interest, then you're going to go to hell. Like, you gave your son unethical money. This property is like your second home, and you're charging the people who live there way more than your mortgage. You're making a profit off of it, and that's not ethical. I feel like that's the modern kind of equivalent
1: here. Yeah, I like that this turned to an anti-landlord direction. <laughs> I'm down with it.
0: <laughs> I mean, I kind of feel like that's the moral of it, even just reading it. It's sort of like, you gave your son this property, but this property was acquired through sinful means.
1: Yeah, all right. So anyway... Most of these little stories end with a quick exchange between the novice and the monk. Would you like to hear it? Of course, yep. Hit me with it. Perhaps it will help you better understand the story. Oh, of course. The novice asks, What do you think of those who live ill but give much alms? And the monk answers, It is of no advantage to them for eternal life.
0: And thus continues the great debate between the Protestants and the Catholics about whether faith alone is required for salvation or whether you also need good works.
1: I mean, I'm not sure it actually even comes into faith because if you take live ill as just meaning like acting sinfully.
0: That's true. I I guess it's the you can't just be a good person and get into heaven.
1: The way I would interpret that for the modern world is like if you're a billionaire and you do philanthropy, the philanthropy is not enough to make you a good person. Like, you have lived ill in order to get that money, and giving some of it away to charity is not enough to get you into heaven. That makes sense. Yeah. So, chapter 19, which is entitled, and this is, I think, a follow-up on that last exchange, of a Bavarian who appeared after death to his wife and told her that almsgiving had done him no good. Oh, I see. Not many years since... A certain very rich official of the Duke of Bavaria died. One night, the castle in which his wife was sleeping was so shaken that they thought there had been an earthquake.
0: Is Germany known for its earthquakes? No idea. I feel like they don't have very many earthquakes. I mean, I would be amazed as well then.
1: Uh, According to Wikipedia, earthquakes in Germany are relatively weak but occur several times a year.
0: Huh. Good to know.
1: There are seismically active areas in Germany, yeah.
0: I didn't know that. Cool. Yeah.
1: Learn something new every day.
0: Yeah. There you go. Put that in your d- campaign. When was the last time you were ever in a campaign that had an earthquake?
1: That's a good point.
0: Yeah. Like storms, and like you're on a ship and there's waves or whatever, volcanoes, but like, what about earthquakes? What do your players do when the earth starts shaking? Anyway, food for thought. Continue.
1: And behold the door of the room in which she lay opened and her husband entered driven by a gigantic black man pushing him by the shoulders oh gosh so i'm i'm not 100% sure what's happening here i don't know if he's if he's in some kind of vehicle like a and he's being pushed or if he's just like standing and like and he's, he's being yeah. shoved and also like, go I honestly think it's a toss-up whether this is a black man as in someone from Africa or a black man as in like a man-shaped spirit that happens to be literally black in Literally
0: color. black. Yeah. It's 100% a toss-up.
1: Yeah.
0: 100%. And it's it's one of those things where like at that point, I don't even know whether you could say that. I don't know how to phrase this. Let's see. I don't know whether you can connect the two ideas even in yeah, this text. I would honestly know?
1: bet more on the spirit thing because, like, this is yeah. supposed to be like a supernatural visitation, and like, why would that include some random African guy?
0: Yeah, I don't think it would. And th- there's, it's not like there's a history of, ah, yes, when we depict demons of hell, we depict them as. African-American individuals. That There's no precedent for that, as far as I know, during this period.
1: Not really. I think there's a little bit of, like, cross-pollination, just because, like, if you're in a part of Europe that doesn't have a lot of contact with Africa, people from Africa kind of occupy the same space in your head as mythical creatures. So, like, right. the depictions get weird.
0: The depictions get weird, but there's nothing demonic associated with that that I have seen. Right. That's very much like an American, like, Great Revival thing that happened pre-Civil
1: War. If this was a ghost story from the antebellum American South...
0: Yeah, then, yeah,
1: for sure. It would be entirely expected for, like, a supernatural visitation to have a guy being pushed around by a black guy. Right. Like that's something we could we could say like, oh yeah, there's all kinds of reasons they could do that, and maybe because like they had these fucked up associations, but none but of that's here. going on in 13th century Germany. Right. So, so, it's probably a spirit or a demon or something that just happens to be literally, literally black in color
0: black. <laughs> all right. But still, it's quite quite the like first image shock. Yeah. Of this dude, this noble dude being pushed into the room by Essentially, what is um like the Death Note demon? I forget his name, but he's yeah, it's being pushed into the room by that
1: guy. All right. I don't know. I'm going to move right past that. Seeing and recognizing him, she called him to her. And you, are you looking up a picture? Yes.
0: <laughs> I want to show you. He's really funny looking. He's my favorite. Like, he's really
1: funny looking. I love him. Oh, that guy. Yeah, I've seen pictures of this on the internets. Yeah. He does have a very bizarre appearance.
0: I love him. I think he's great. I just I just figure this Bavarian dude is being pushed into the room
1: by Ryuk. Yeah. All right. All right. That is now, that is now also my image. All right. So
0: he goes to his wife or
1: he calls his wife over. Seeing and recognizing him, she, his wife, called him the dead guy to her. Right. And okay. made him sit on the seat by the bed. I don't know whether that means she invited him or if, like, he actually can't move and that's why he has to be pushed into the room and she's just, like, sitting him there like a mannequin.
0: Rigor mortis is real, baby.
1: She was in no way frightened, and because it was cold, she threw a part of the bed coverlet over his shoulders. That's sweet. Being asked by her about his condition, he replied sadly, I have been consigned to eternal punishment. At these words, she was exceedingly alarmed and answered, What do you say? Have you not given much alms and was not your door open to all pilgrims? Are your good deeds of no avail? He replied, They are useless for giving me eternal life because they were done for vainglory and not out of charity.
0: Oh. So it wasn't even that he was an unbeliever. It was that
1: he was donating to charity to make himself look good instead of because he wanted to help. And that doesn't count
0: doesn't count
1: so anytime you see a news story about a rich person donating a lot of money to charity just remember if they're telling people about it it doesn't count. it
0: doesn't count yep yep
1: when she wanted to question him about other matters he again replied i have been allowed to appear to you but i may not stay here Behold, my devil conductor outside waits for me. I don't know if this is the guy that, like, pushed him there, or if this is, like, a separate, like, like there's an infernal coachman outside or something. It's not clear to me.
0: I think Ryuk is just standing in the doorway, like, come on, <laughs> come back. <laughs> you did your thing, come on. He's
1: dressed in, in like, the, one of those overalls and little hats because he's a conductor. <laughs> he's got, like, a
0: train <laughs> outfit on. I don't know what those He's got are the whistle. Yeah. On Autobahn! <laughs> The train to hell?
1: And then the dead guy delivers quite an image. I'm ready. If all the leaves of the trees were turned into tongues, they could not describe my tortures. What the
0: f***? <laughs> what the f-? I don't think that was supposed to be that freaky.
1: It's a weird image though, right?
0: That's a horrifying image. Can you do that with like a mimic? You should. That's a cool creature, like. Or just, just make a tongue tree. Yeah. Tongue tree. That's horrifying. Yeah, exactly. Talk about body, hoarder in your, body horror in your campaign.
1: I would like to note that, of course, the reason that those tree tongues could not describe his tortures is because just because they have a tongue does not mean they have a voice box and the tongue needs to be, have points of articulation to form like words. teeth
0: and the mouth. Yeah. Tongues
1: don't just generate sound. But yeah. that is unnecessary nitpicking, and I'm trying to do that less after our Guijamar episode. Oh yes. When I when I, I, I spent still... the whole time talking about what kind of wood the boat was made of and missed the <laughs> whole patriarchal <laughs> violence theme.
0: Still, I feel like there would be like weird like tongue slapping sounds on the tree bark and the branches and the wind.
1: Like. Yeah. Alright, people who do conlangs. <laughs> yeah. Figure out what phonemes are available for a tongue tree and design a language and get back to
0: us. That's so gross.
1: If you can make a recording, I will send it to Zoe and make sure she listens.
0: I'll listen to it live. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Happy Halloween, you (laughs) f***s. All right. Okay.
1: After this, he was called out and driven on, the whole castle being shaken at his departure as before, and his cries of woe long heard.
0: Yeah, because they'd never seen a train
1: before. Yeah, or tongue you know, trees. No, that was a metaphor. They're not really there. That was a metaphor.
0: My mother used to live near train tracks, and sh- and all the dishes would shake every time the train went by.
1: I live near train tracks now. It's Well,
0: that's something you could look forward to.
1: Yeah, I don't actually have uh, much space for dishes. I'm still getting this place <laughs> set up. I just moved, like, last month. But there is definitely train-related vibrations yep. in my dwelling place.
0: So now it makes sense. Now that Now the shaking makes sense. I like that what we took away from this story is the tongue tree and the conductor. Yeah. Rather than, hey, if you do good deeds, but are vain about it, they don't count.
1: Yeah, I'm mostly sticking with the billionaire philanthropists are bullshit-like Yeah. Yeah. takeaway.
0: That's the best takeaway. My follow-up question is, like, what does the wife do about this? And why isn't she alarmed to have... Like, maybe this isn't her first dead
1: husband. You know, maybe she's just, like, a really chill person. Like, she's just taking this in stride.
0: She's like, all right, this is fine. The whole house was shaking, My dead husband is back with this weird dude in the background.
1: Wearing striped overalls.
0: Yeah, I'm going to have a civil conversation. I don't need any trouble. I'm trying to go to sleep. Dude, medieval women put up with so much
1: (laughs) (laughs) Especially in these stories. Like, it's wild. Anyway, there is a little more, so. All right, all right. This vision was much talked of and still is in Bavaria. As Gerard, our monk, was witness to it being talked about. He wasn't there, presumably. At one time, canon of ratisbon I think this is Gerard's title.
0: Oh, he is the canon.
1: Yeah. Who related it to us. I see. See how in all that has been said the scripture is fulfilled, which saith, quote, The mighty men shall be mightily tormented.
0: Seems like you're cherry-picking Little bit. stories here, but... I appreciate you working to fulfill your prophecy. Yeah.
1: And then we've got our closing exchange. The novice says, This and like examples should be preached to the mighty.
0: (laughs) Tell the billionaires. Yeah. This is what awaits.
1: And the monk replies, Because the priests themselves in great part live bad and incontinent lives, they do not prick the hearts of the mighty, but flatter them.
0: You tell them. This is the best reading that we've had so far, I think. Yeah,
1: I'm kind of vibing with that.
0: He's he's actually acknowledging it, which in all seriousness is not something we often see because a lot of the writings that still exist were written by the privileged and the wealthy. Mm-hmm. And so there were not often critiques yeah. of the privileged and the wealthy. Yeah,
1: because they, they were the ones commissioning them or you yep. don't often see critiques of like, the clergy, because they're the also they're the ones writing them. They're,
0: they're the ones writing it. Yep.
1: The last sentence of the monk's reply is a transition into the next story, which we are not going to read. So this is a teaser for something that you will only get to hear if you look up Caesarius of Heisterbach and read it yourself. But there you go. It's a good sentence, so I'm going to read it anyway. How grave a vice is the licentiousness of priests? The following instance proves.
0: Licentiousness? The
1: licentiousness of priests. A grave vice.
0: Yes. Well, especially for a priest. But all right. Okay. So what is our next story then?
1: We're back in Yorkshire for this one. This involves a lot of English authors because that's the language I speak. So.
0: (laughs) Yep. It's really hard to learn another language, much less a dead one.
1: I mean, we've done it.
0: It's still hard. Yeah. It's still hard. Like, Old English is hard. Latin's also hard. Like, me looking at medieval French? Bro, no.
1: (laughs) Yeah. There's a lot of stuff that's written in, like, that's written by medieval German writers that has been translated into German.
0: Mm -hmm. Because
1: that's who's interested in it. And I don't, I'd like to read it, but I don't speak German. Yeah. So, but by this kind of effect, this is going to be very English-centric. But anyway, we're back in Yorkshire. It would seem that... Around 1400, a monk in Byland Abbey, that's B-Y-L-A-N-D, decided to write down a dozen local tales of the supernatural, so like just local folklore, on some blank pages in one of the Abbey's books. That's awesome. He wrote in Latin, by the way. These were later transcribed by M.R. James, who in addition to being a medievalist, was also a writer of ghost stories. Successful enough to get multiple paragraphs in Lovecraft's famous essay, Supernatural Horror in Literature. That's cool. So I assume there's a reason he was interested in this text.
0: Yes, definitely. I love that. I love that this is like, I wouldn't say it's like an SCP, but it's like something from the back rooms, right? It's like, this wasn't supposed to exist and he just wrote it down. And now we have it.
1: That is an excellent way to think of ephemera. <laughs> I'm kinda of vibing with that.
0: Yeah, you know? Like, we weren't supposed to have it. Like, this folklore was supposed to disappear over time. But we have it, because this guy liked it and wrote it down. Yeah.
1: However, MR James decided to just publish the Latin transcription and not an English translation for some reason. He's possibly just an asshole. I guess. I don't know why Past Me wrote that down. Maybe I was really annoyed with the fact that I had to-
0: That <laughs> you had to translate it? Well,
1: I didn't have to translate it. Someone named A.J. Grant decided a few years later to, like, do a translation. But James didn't bother the first time around, so maybe I was just mad at him. Maybe I looked him up and decided he sounded like a d- I don't know. Past Me was happy calling him an asshole for some reason.
0: Fair enough. It's also one of those things where- medievalists at that time very much wanted to to be very prim and proper and be exclusive about these things so they would keep it in latin yeah so that if you didn't know latin you couldn't get the cool secret knowledge because it's a secret club obviously
1: and yeah, this is like over a hundred years ago yeah. like i don't remember exactly when but if lovecraft's Lovecraft, writing yeah. about him then he's over a hundred years ago Google the script.
0: but it was and still is kind of one of those things where it's like hey, you gotta know the language to be in the club Yeah, to be able to access these texts, which is so annoying. But at the same time, there is something to be said for reading the text in its original language. So Correct. I could go either way.
1: Okay, so yeah, he, he was born in the mid-19th century. So we're talking yeah. late 19th, early 20th century. Yep. But anyway, someone did translate it, a fellow named A.J. Grant. Thank you, A.J. Grant. And now we're going to read one of them.
0: All right, I'm ready.
1: This is the 11th one. All of these have titles, which is nice. Like, I don't know if all of the ones in this collection do, but all, the, all of the ones we've been reading have individual titles, which are always aesthetically really nice. interesting.
0: Uh, of course, they always are. Do you think that these are the original Latin titles, or is this something that James or Grant added?
1: Based on the wording, I'm going to bet this is original.
0: Bless. All right, let's go. Because
1: the title of this is Concerning a Wonderful Work of God Who Calls Things Which Are Not As Though They Were Things Which Are And Who Can Act When And How He Wills Semicolon And Concerning a Certain Miracle That is a medieval title.
0: Yeah, no, 100%. (laughs) All right. So, Concerning This Miracle...
1: It has been handed down to memory that a certain man of Cleveland, presumably not the one in Ohio, called Richard Roundtree. (laughs) You okay there?
0: What a name. Like, like Cleveland got me, but his name is Richard Roundtree, and that's a great
1: name. It's not round like circular. It's R-O-W-N. I assume it's from Rowan. Probably, but I still like it. It's got a good mouthfeel to it. That's not the word I'm looking for. It's got... I don't know. It's
0: got a good, like, tenor. It's got a good... Yeah. It
1: feels good. It's got a certain zhuzh. Yeah. Zhuzh. Anyway, this guy with the name left his wife great with child and went with many others to the tomb of St. James. I think it's a pilgrimage. He's not just, like, fucking off. But still, like, <laughs> irresponsible. I was
0: gonna say. Yeah. All right. I mean, to be fair, you had to go on certain pilgrimages at different times of year. Like, I kind of get it, but also, you couldn't have waited until, like, next year.
1: Yeah, Anyway, one night, these people passed the night in a wood near to the King's Highway. Wherefore, one of the party kept watch for a part of the night against night fears. That's hyphenated, night hyphen fears, and the others slept in safety.
0: I like this. I feel like there's a lot you could do in a campaign with that. Like, oh yeah, set up watch for the night fears. Yeah. I'm sorry, the what? Not, not like, bandits, not kobolds, not go- goblins. The, no, 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 the Night Fears. I, you're gonna elaborate on that, bud? Nope.
1: Nope. Nope. I love it. I think that it's best if, like, if they're traveling through an unfamiliar area and, like, the publican at the end they're staying at is like, remember to set watch for the Night Fears. And, like, yep. he's just incapable of explaining what that is. He's just, like, the Night Fears, you know, the Night Fears. Well, yeah,
0: You know, yeah. It- Don't you guys have a, I don't know what it is in your language, but (laughs) the Night Fears. I think that would be fun. Yeah. Roll Insight to try and figure out what the f*** that means. Good (laughs) luck, (laughs)
1: DC20. Anyway, the, the guy on watch is on watch and the others slept in safety. And it happened that in that part of the night in which the man we speak of was the Guardian and Night Watchman. So when his shift comes up. He heard a great sound of people passing along the king's highway, and some rode sitting on horses and sheep and oxen. I'm not sure you can ride sheep, but go off. And some on other animals. And all the animals were those that had been given to the church when they died. Ooh, I like this. This is spooky. And at last he saw what seemed a small child wriggling along on the ground, wrapped in a stocking.
0: I'm guessing this is like a miscarriage, like an infant. Like, I'm not, we're not talking like, yeah, like a seven-year-old. No, we're talking like a miscarriage because that is what fits in a stocking. Mm
1: -hmm. And he conjured him, the man calls to the child in the stocking. And asked him who he was and why he thus wriggled along.
0: Why did you pick that one?
1: I mean, it's, it it's the weirdest one. It's the spookiest one. Okay. And he, the child in the stocking, made answer, You ought not to conjure me, for you were my father, and I was your (gasps) abortive son, buried without baptism and without name. Holy sht. Yeah, his his wife miscarried while he was away, and this is the ghost of the miscarriage. Oh
0: my gosh! That's scary! (laughs)
1: Yeah, that's freaky, right?
0: That's really freaky!
1: And when he had heard this, the pilgrim took off his shirt... And put it on his small child, that shirt is not going to fit, and gave him a name in the name of the Holy Trinity. And he took with him the old stocking in witness of the matter.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: And the child, when he had thus received a name, jumped with joy, and henceforth walked erect upon his feet, though previously he had wriggled. And when the pilgrimage was over, he gave a banquet to his neighbors, and asked his wife for his hose. That's the stuff you wear on your legs, not garden hose. Yeah, stockings. She showed him one stocking, but could not find the other. Then the husband showed her the stocking in which the child was wrapped, and she was astonished. And as the midwives confessed the truth concerning the death (gasps) and burial of the boy in the stocking, a divorce took place between the husband and the wife.
0: Of course, because they blamed her.
1: No. No. There's a different reason. You want to guess?
0: Because he wasn't there for her? Nope. Or because he because he, he swapped the stocking and the shirt for some reason?
1: Getting there. Give you a hint. It's a legal technicality.
0: Oh, no. Okay. All right. What is it?
1: Inasmuch as he was the godfather of the abortive child, when he gave the child a name what? that made him technically the child's <gasps> godfather... Which makes this whole marriage thing much more complicated because that's doing a weird thing with the family structure.
0: It's like spiritual incest is what it is. Yeah. Okay, we need to explain this. So first off, let's rewind all the way back to this wife who had this unfortunate miscarriage. So what it seems like to me is like, it says the midwives confessed the truth. So Mm -hmm. to me, that seems like they're the ones who... Buried this child unblessed, unnamed, and unbaptized. Yes, which sends a kid to hell. Yes, or at least purgatory. Like you don't go to heaven if you haven't been baptized right. and all
1: that. Or limbo, wherever, wherever the wherever, wherever yeah. the dogma currently says.
0: Yeah. So it seems like they lied about that. So it's not the wife's fault. It's the midwife's fault. Right. For that. So already, like, this is a tragedy, but it's a double tragedy because of that, because you don't want your unborn or, you know, your miscarried child to not go to heaven because of this lady's, like, inability to do her fucking job, mm-hmm. basically. So that's already a tragedy. And then it's a tragedy that he wasn't home at the time. Yeah. And then it's another tragedy that he, like, sees this child and, like, has to do this. Now, it is a cool thing that he, like, it doesn't say that he names the child. But it does. He, like, he, okay, so he names he, the child. He gives and what him else? a shirt
1: and a name. It doesn't say what okay. the name is.
0: But, like, a christening is a ritual. It's not a It's not a sacrament, but it is important. And I don't know if anyone of our listeners has played The Witcher 3, but this is basically almost plot for plot one of the quests. So spoiler alert, but one of the NPCs miscarries a child and that child haunts the estate because it was buried, unchristened. And so you you have two options as the Witcher. You can either kill it or you can find it, bring it to the father. The father can name it and bury it. And then it turns into like a guardian spirit for the household. So that is essentially what's going on. And I got like folklore vibes off of this, but I didn't know it had actually a precedent. Mm -hmm. So that's really, really cool. And you could easily turn this into your own quest. So, okay, we have that. We have this little dance macabre that's going on, which is like the Wild Hunt.
1: Very similar. Yeah.
0: But, you know, for for dead folks, because the Wild Hunt is supposed to be like witches and spirits and otherworldly
1: things. Already. Some versions do have dead people in it, though. So it's, we're ah, definitely working okay. with the same tradition.
0: So you've got that. So like so many layers already. So cool. And then you get to this divorce. So explain what the divorce is again.
1: All right. So by basically performing a quick and dirty christening on this child, he has become the child's godfather as well as its father, yep. which is already confusing. It is not cool to be married to your child's godfather. That is technically incest, and therefore they had to divorce.
0: Yep. And also, technically, you weren't supposed to be the same gender as your godchild. Really? Yeah, it's supposed to be an opposite gender thing.
1: I did not know that.
0: Yeah. So there might also be some, like, homosexual going on here. But yeah, it's like a spiritual incest thing to be the father and godfather- Of your kid. Yeah. I didn't know you could annul a marriage based on that.
1: Well, there is a remaining sentence in this story that comments on this. Okay, let's go. The story ends with, But I believe that this divorce was highly displeasing to God. (laughs) It does not elaborate. It just says, I don't think that was the right thing to do.
0: Wow. Really? But otherwise the kid wouldn't have- Oh, man. I
1: think they're saying, like, that's a weird technicality. You know, you shouldn't uh, split up over it.
0: Okay, but here's the thing. I think that she's actually divorcing him because he wasn't there for the birth. And legally, this is how she could do that. But she's like, you're a piece of shit. Like, I miscarried. You weren't there and you're not supportive.
1: Yeah, now you're confronting me about it.
0: Yeah. And he probably accused her of like, how could you have done this? You didn't, you know, christen or bury our baby in a churchyard. You didn't baptize the kid. And she's like, what are you talking about?
1: I was not in shape to do any of this stuff. I was in bed.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's the midwife's fault. Wow. I like this one. This is a good ghost
1: story. Yeah. That's a spooky one. There's a lot that can be read into that end. And I honestly think that your reading is pretty plausible.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You could see it happening. Yeah.
1: Interesting. All right. I think we have time for the next story, but not the one after that. So we're still going to have more left.
0: <laughs> All right.
1: All right. So here's another from William of Newburgh, who was the guy we got the Sam and Dean story from last time.
0: Yes. He's got good ones.
1: This is his chapter 22, entitled, Of the Prodigy of a Dead Man. ...who wandered about after burial. I believe prodigy in this case means just unusual event. Mm, got it. In these days, a wonderful event... ...just meaning strange. Full of wonder. Yeah, full of wonder. Yeah. ...befell in the county of Buckingham, which I, in the first instance... ...I being William of Newber... ...partially heard from certain friends and was afterwards more fully informed of by Stephen... Comma, the venerable archdeacon of that province.
0: Oh, okay, okay. I thought you were going to leave it there.
1: I thought it would be funnier if the sentence stopped there, but it didn't. All
0: right, so he heard this from friends, but also the archdeacon. All right.
1: I think the image he's trying to get here is like, yeah, I heard this from, like, rumors and stuff, but then I went and got it confirmed and told properly to me by a reliable source, i.e. the archdeacon of the province where it happened. Of course, because a religious
0: leader wouldn't lie.
1: Right, no, never, 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 never. No. So here's what happened. A certain man died, and, according to custom, by the honorable exertion of his wife and kindred, was laid in the tomb on the eve of the Lord's Ascension. I think this is Easter weekend? Yep. On the following night, however, having entered the bed where his wife was reposing, he not only terrified her on awaking, but nearly crushed her by the insupportable weight of his body. (laughs) He's on
0: top of her? Is he trying to get some when he's dead? Possibly?
1: Not clear.
0: Maybe she like rolled over onto his side and he didn't expect her there.
1: Or maybe like he just got in bed and went to sleep and then rolled over onto her and she woke up pinned under him and was like, what is going?
0: This is my dead husband.
1: Yeah. I do want to point out that this is a theme that we've also seen in some of the Icelandic sagas, which is the undead are supernaturally heavy.
0: Yes. Yep. I mean, that makes sense. I feel like an unconscious person feels heavier than when you're carrying a conscious person Mm -hmm. because a conscious person could like help. But dead weight is dead weight is dead weight.
1: Yeah. So. Anyway, so that happened. Then the next night also, he afflicted the astonished woman in the same manner, who, frightened at the danger, as the struggle of the third night grew near, took care to remain awake herself and surround herself with watchful companions.
0: I would too. Yeah, good call. I'm surprised she didn't do this on the second night, but okay. She's like, "Oh, like if he came back the first night, that was just a fluke." Yeah, maybe now she thought it was just know. a one-time
1: thing. It was like that yeah. was messed up, but you know, it's over. And then now he came he back knows again to stay
0: in his grave. Okay. okay.
1: Still, the dead man came, but being repulsed by the shouts of the watchers and seeing that he was prevented from doing mischief, he departed.
0: That makes me think he was trying to get some. Yeah,
1: that's how I read that too.
0: Yeah. Yeah, especially because it's also signified by struggle, Mm -hmm. which, yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't want to. Yeah, no, absolutely not.
1: Whoa. No, I I think it might not be sexual because the next sentence is thus driven off from his wife. He harassed in a similar manner his own brothers.
0: I don't know. I don't know. Like, I think you can still read it either way. (laughs) But so he's harassing people now.
1: I think it just means, like, he's bothering them by, like, getting in bed.
0: Yeah, he's just trying to go to sleep, man. (laughs) Look, the coffin's not that comfortable, he misses the covers, I get it.
1: Anyway, he, he harassed in a similar manner his own brothers who were dwelling in the same street, but they, following the cautious example of the woman, passed the nights in wakefulness with their companions, ready to meet and repel the expected danger.
0: It's like, my wife kicked me out again.
1: Yeah, can I stay with you? <laughs> no! <laughs> no! You're dead. <laughs> he appeared, notwithstanding, as if with the hope of surprising them should they be overcome with drowsiness. But being repelled by the carefulness and valor of the Watchers, he rioted among the animals, both indoors and out of doors, as their wildness and unwanted movements testified.
0: So they don't even want him.
1: Yeah, I think it means like he's running around and just like upsetting the livestock. And they're like... (laughs)
0: He's like, I don't know what to do anymore.
1: Yeah, and they're like, oh, look at those uh, wild and unwanted movements. Something is bothering those cows. (laughs) It's my brother again.
0: It's my brother, of course. Yes.
1: Having thus become a like serious nuisance to his friends and neighbors, he imposed upon all the same necessity for nocturnal watchfulness. And in that very street, a general watch was kept in every house, each being fearful of his approach unawares. After having for some time rioted in this manner during the nighttime alone, at this point, he's just running around, like, screaming and bothering the animals and causing trouble because no one really will let him like into their this. house.
0: Like, no, I love how in all of these stories, like, it's very rare that the undead are actually causing harm. mm mm-hmm. They're just kind of public nuisances that can be dealt with through legal means or just kind of by like standing there and or shouting,
1: yeah, like there's not a lot of like undead hunting the living,
0: yeah, they're not they're not doing anything, they're just being really annoying, yeah, yeah, they're like drunk frat bros at three am, yeah, probably less predatory than that,
1: yeah. I think the last William of Newburgh story did have the undead be spreading disease through the town. Right. Theoretically, also something done by drunken frat bros.
0: (laughs) True. Yeah, the the last one, he was an actual, like, harm. Because he was spreading disease and he was causing problems. People were dying. (laughs) But in this one, like, all of these stories, it's just kind of like, hey, I'm here to let you know I didn't do good in life. Now I'm in hell. Or it's like, hi, I'm back, and I'm in my hair shirt, and I'm hanging out in town, and everyone's like, you need to go, you're done.
1: I think the only one today where the undead cause actual harm is that first one with the Welsh ghost.
0: Yeah, I think everything else is pretty, pretty mundane.
1: Yeah. Anyway, where were we? Ah, yes. After having for some time rioted in this manner during the nighttime alone, he began to wander abroad in daylight. Formidable, indeed, to all, but visible only to a few.
0: Ooh. See, this is also another trend that the undead in these stories, or ghosts even in these stories, are only out during the night for a while, and then they also appear during the daytime.
1: Yeah, it seems to be more of a preference than a requirement.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's interesting, though. It's cool.
1: For oftentimes, on his encountering a number of persons, he would appear to one or two only, though at the same time, his presence was not concealed from the rest. I think what that means is that the whole group can tell there's something there, but only a couple can actually see him.
0: That makes sense. It's it's like the legends of somebody having, like, seventh sight, or like the second sight mm-hmm. to be able to see, like, fairies and boggarts and whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess some people are, you know, have this ability and others don't.
1: Right. Or as Terry Pratchett would have it, the first sight, which is seeing what's actually there and not second guessing it.
0: Yep. Beautiful. Oh, I love Terry Pratchett. Very good. Yep. 10 out of 10. Recommend.
1: Yeah. Everyone should read Terry Pratchett. Discworld and his earlier work.
0: I really liked A Hat Full of Sky.
1: That is a good one. All right. Anyway. Anyway.
0: So what what are they doing with this dude?
1: Well, let's find out. At length the inhabitants, alarmed beyond measure, thought it advisable to seek counsel of the church. And they detailed the whole affair with tearful lamentation to the above-mentioned archdeacon at a meeting of the clergy over which he was solemnly presiding. I like to think this was unscheduled, like he was in a meeting, they just burst in with tearful lamentation and explained everything.
0: Like, this dude just won't stop, man! And then two brothers
1: came to town. I know, right? It feels very similar.
0: In a Chevy Impala. <laughs> All right.
1: Whereupon he, the archdeacon, I believe, immediately intimated in writing the whole circumstances of the case to the venerable Bishop of Lincoln, who was then resident in London.
0: Passing it on the chain.
1: Whose opinion and judgment on so... Oh, that's an interesting word. It's unwanted... But that's W-O-N-T. Oh. So like the opposite of something that is want to happen. This is something that is not want to happen. Unprecedented. It's unusual.
0: Yeah. That's great. Unwanted a matter. Yes. I think
1: it's good. Whose opinion and judgment on so unwanted a matter he was very properly of opinion should be waited for. But the bishop, being amazed at his account. I feel like this is also a theme with William of Newburgh because this also happened in one of his earlier stories. Is it the clergy just get bogged down like the bureaucracy of it all?
0: (laughs) Yep. So realistic. 10 out of 10. See, that's what people don't realize. Like they think Game of Thrones is dark and gritty and realistic, but it doesn't have enough bureaucracy.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: People are getting things done in Game of Thrones. That's not how it should be going down.
1: Yeah, they are making decisions and historical events are happening at the rate of like several a year. So
0: fast. Yeah.
1: Like no, no, man. Takes time.
0: Not the medieval church.
1: Yeah. But the bishop, being amazed at his account, held a searching investigation with his companions. And a searching investigation may sound like they go there and look about, but it seems clear that it just means he asked them. Yeah,
0: (laughs) They're talking, that's all they're doing.
1: They're they're having a fact-finding meeting.
0: What what do you make of this? Well, it's certainly not good, my lord. (laughs) Yes, yes, I, I concur. Definitely not good. Detrimental to the town, I'd say. Oh yes, quite so. Like... Shut up! Shut up and do something! There's a dead guy running around!
1: And there were some who said that such things had often befallen in England, and cited frequent examples to show that tranquility could not be restored to the people until the body of this most wretched man were dug up and burnt.
0: Ooh, we're going for the nuclear option. Yes. All right. Also, where are all of these other accounts? Because this is something almost every single one of these is like, ah, yes, of course, the local dead guy coming back. When did we lose that
1: as a culture? I think we still have it. People still tell local ghost stories. It's just the same thing.
0: True. But like, when was the last time you heard about like, oh, yeah, Frank died last week. And I saw him the other day in the grocery store. Like... We've lost that as a culture, and it just makes me sad. Like, all the ghost stories are kind of spooky, and they're meant to be scary, but I feel like these are very much, like, mundane. Yeah,
1: the guy's just there. Like, he's- He's
0: just hanging out.
1: Physically present.
0: Yeah. I don't know. Like, with the rise of Dracula, and Jekyll and Hyde, and Frankenstein, we sort of lost this beautiful, like, mundane story. Like, the mundane ghost stories. I don't know. I like him So- They're doing their little PowerPoint meeting.
1: Yeah. They say it should be dug up and burnt. This proceeding, however, appeared indecent and improper in the last degree to the Reverend Bishop, who shortly after addressed a letter of absolution written with his own hand to the Archdeacon (laughs) in order that it might be demonstrated by inspection in what state the body of that man really was. So he's like, oh, no, no, no. Burning the body would be improper. I'm writing a letter to the Archdeacon. (laughs) <laughs> and, oh my gosh. And he. <laughs> and he commanded his tomb to be opened, and the letter having been laid upon his breast, to be again closed. So he's like, okay, instead of burning the body, what if I write a letter saying that the sins of the dead man are forgiven? So that then maybe he'll stop.
0: I love it. I love the bureaucracy of all this.
1: Interestingly, however, it works. Oh my gosh! He commanded his tomb to be opened, and the letter having been laid upon his breast to be again closed. So the sepulchre having been opened, the corpse was found, as it had been placed there, and the charter of absolution having been deposited upon its breast, and the tomb once more closed, he was thenceforth never more seen to wander, nor permitted to inflict annoyance or terror upon anyone. The end.
0: Good. Does it say like what he died from or if he died with any like outstanding sins? Or is the guy just like, I'm going to cover them all. We're just going to let it rest. Like he needs something.
1: Either it's a very broad letter or like William just doesn't want to write it down. Because all he says is a certain man died.
0: Amazing. Amazing. I love how this is in Viking literature or like it's in the Icelandic sagas. I don't want to say Viking literature, but it's in the sagas. And it's also in this like later medieval bureaucracy story. Mm -hmm. So this is not something because I feel like we think of the Vikings as less civilized than like the high medieval chivalric tales, which, first of all, not true at all. The Viking legal system was way more complex than I think pretty much almost any national legal system on the continent.
1: Very possibly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. They'd be comparable, if not more advanced. But anyway, I love how we get both. I love this theme. I love it. Letter of Absolution.
1: Yep. And just for the record, I still have half a dozen of these left. So we can come back to this next year. These
0: are amazing. I love these stories. Okay, shall we run into our segments? What say you? First one is best dialogue. Do we have do we have any good dialogue? People didn't really say too much.
1: It's usually just related, but there are there's a few dialogue.
0: How about how about um? I can't stay. My conductor is waiting for me.
1: That is good. Let me see if I can find. That's one hell
0: of a conductor.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Ridiculous. You're welcome. No, there's not a lot of direct speech reported. Um, However. There is some good stuff.
0: How about we use, we could use the dialogue of the master and the novice, where he's like, ah, oh, yes, those b- bishops.
1: Yes, that was actually exactly what I was thinking is.
0: Hell yeah.
1: When the novice says, this and like example should be preached to the mighty, and the monk replies, because the priests themselves in great part live bad and incontinent lives, they do not prick the hearts of the mighty, but flatter them. I think that's very Alas. good.
0: It is very good. All right.
1: Altoblast.
0: I feel like it would be improper to do best death, so let's do best re-death.
1: Ooh, good take. Yes, okay.
0: Best second death.
1: Some of them just leave. True.
0: I personally like the hair and stocking swap. I feel like usually we pick funny ones, but this one to me is really heartfelt. Yeah. Because this child is being embraced by a family that he never got to know.
1: Yeah. You know, it's very sweet. I do think that's yeah. better.
0: That's a good one.
1: Yeah. The only other noticeable one is the sword, but we're like, we got lots of people chopping heads. Like this is yeah. A st- yeah. the shirt and name is a standout. Yeah, definitely. Uh,
0: Bestiary. Mythical Critter?
1: Did that thing in The Witcher have a name? Yes. Because whatever it's called, this is one of those.
0: Yeah, hang on.
1: They probably didn't call it the same thing, because I think The Witcher draws mostly on Central and Eastern European.
0: Yes, well this...
1: But I I assume it's a similar concept.
0: It's a rather brutal name. In The Witcher, it's called a botchling. Hmm. Because it is a botched pregnancy.
1: I'm not certain whether or not that is a histo- oh, hold on. I don't
0: think it is at all
1: okay apparently however the original word from slavic mythology is hold on I'm I'm looking at the IPA and trying to like make this work Paronietz. future mac here I took a little bit to practice the unfamiliar phonemes and I think poronietz is Closer than what I was able to do on the fly. Ah, the ah best I can get there. It's spelled P O R O in with an acute accent I E C. Yes,
0: or from Old Norse the myling or myling M Y L I N G.
1: Future Mac again. That one's going to be something like muling. Yeah, so whatever the, I guess, Northern English equivalent of this, which might well be Mieling, mm-hmm. is this.
0: Well, there you go. Cool. Yeah, botchling is a It's a pretty brutal word for it.
1: It's possible that's a direct translation. I don't know what Poronjetsk means. I don't yeah. know the etymology.
0: For Mieling, there's also Norwegian utbert, which... It has a double meaning for outborn or extra burden or yeah unborn because it can be a child born out of wedlock who was then like killed off typically or it could also mean a miscarriage so there you go so there you go
1: yeah that's that's Myth- your, your mythical, your mythical creature.
0: critter yeah
1: Grant me the Using
0: things in a D&D game. There's a lot here. I wrote down a bunch.
1: Let's start with one of yours, because I bet you have more than I do.
0: All right. Well, my first one is an archdeacon as your boss fight. I just think that's dope.
1: Yeah, it's fun.
0: It's good. Also, like, you know, just instead of dealing with, like, local priests, or, like, you know, you got a cleric or whatever, but, like, it's a little cooler if your character gets orders from the archdeacon you know? Yeah. It's cooler. It's just cooler. You
1: know, I'm gonna assume that this is less exciting to people who are members of like the Anglican Church or something, <laughs> like an archdeacon. It's just like a normal word to them. That's fair. But like, I don't know. I, I don't think I've ever met a deacon, much less an archdeacon. So. An archdeacon. It's just cooler when you have arch in it, you know, like arch fiend. I did go to college with someone who's an Anglican priest now, but like, I don't know if she's become a deacon.
0: Deacons mean different things in different denominations. I'm not but 100% anyway.
1: sure that Anglicans have deacons. I think they do.
0: So yeah, yeah, they do. archdeacon. I think that would be fun to throw in as an influential either cleric character or priest character. Whatever fits in your world.
1: Yeah. All right. Oh, so my thought when we were speculating about the uh, undead creatures' behaviors in that last story was that would be a wild background to give a PC is... That their father was dead at the time they were conceived. It was a haunting.
0: Oh my gosh. And so
1: they'd be like half undead or something.
0: What kind of racial perks?
1: I'm sure you could think of some. I bet there are already rules out there for like partially undead characters. So you could, you just have to adapt that to this story.
0: I will also say you should make it extremely clear if you use this as a character that the dead guy was sentient and consenting, and so was the other individual. Like all of those things still apply if you use this as an idea
1: <laughs> this is true, or if you're not going to make that be the case, make sure that like the rest of the people at the table are cool with that sort of thing, yes, like being definitely, in the game.
0: yeah, yeah, but yeah, I like that. That's cool. Let's see. a courtier subclass, I think, could be really cool for like a bard, yeah. I think that could be fun. We might have to play with that one. Mm -hmm. And then also, I just really like the title, "Courtiers' Trifles, and I still think you should put that in as like a chocolate shop
1: or something. (laughs) I agree. Or
0: like, I don't know, like a little poem shop, or maybe there's a guy who has like a little stand and he writes love poems for the people in court. Like, oh, did you need a love poem for your lady friend today? Here you go. At the Courtiers' Trifles, we got you. Done. (laughs) Yeah.
1: All right, what else? I want... Hauntings that do things that are not dangerous, but just kind of annoying and stupid, like the fish saying, "I've brought you fish," and then surprise, they're toads. (laughs) They're toads. Like that's it. That's the whole. That's the whole haunting. That's all there is. And then, oh
0: my gosh, you can
1: make your PCs listen to that story, and they. When someone's like, yes, I was haunted recently. And then when he's like, and then there were toads.
0: (laughs) You're like, that's it? (laughs) What what do you want
1: us to do about this?
0: Like somebody pranked you and he's like, no, 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 I was haunted. Like, okay, a dead guy pranked you. (laughs) What do you want us to say?
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
0: I think that's a really good quest for low level players though. Like, this guy's really annoyed because he keeps getting stupid gifts. He keeps getting pranked by this undead guy. And you really need to put a stop to it, man. Like, I'll pay you. I'm so sick of this. Like, it's like the opposite of Porch Pirates. He keeps giving me (laughs) toads and I'm sick of it. I'm done. It's a good low-level quest. Yeah, that would be fun. I think Malefactor has a lot of potential, either as a class or a title or an enemy or something. I know that I'm already using that in like my creative works as somebody who does the wrong sort of magic. That's how I use Uh, it. Okay. Yeah. Or if you're like a magic criminal, like you're not just a criminal, you're a malefactor. So that's how I use it in my works. But in, I guess in this one, they curse people to grow sick and die. Apparently, yes. So there you go. You could also do that. An undead guy who curses people. Which I also think was a a really good quest idea. Like, your players show up at a house. Mm -hmm. At, like, a a tavern, an inn, whatever. And either NPCs around them keep getting sick. Or one of the player characters at night, like, roll for what bedroom you get. And then that character gets cursed. Yeah. That could be interesting. And then you have to figure out how to get rid
1: of this curse. All right, I think it would be interesting to have an NPC or... This actually might work better if you're writing fiction rather than playing a game, so possibly just a character, who tells these little sermons and stories and anecdotes and exempla, and then they always end in a moral that is either a complete non-sequitur or focuses on absolutely the wrong thing and does not help you at all. Like those little transitions with the novice and the monk in between the stories where it's just like, and then it was toads. And they're like, so we're talking about alms. Yes, yes, alms are not enough. Like that's, that's all you need to know here. Or with the story about the uh, kid in the stocking like it ends with, and I don't think they should have gotten divorced just these
0: little... You're like, thanks. <laughs> like, just, okay. Just something sure. that seems
1: like it's going somewhere and then it wraps up in a way that absolutely does not help is, I think, something that's just fun to hand people. True.
0: I mean, even if you did want to put that in a character campaign, maybe that's like the character's thing is whenever they're being told something or they get information or they get a quest from somebody, they take the wrong conclusion. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh... So obviously you want us to bring the dead guy into the house so you guys can talk it out. Yeah. It's like, no, that's not what we want. I want you to kill the dead guy. Put him back in the ground. He's like, oh, you want the violent option. Okay, I get it now. Yeah. He just takes the wrong point. I like that. I like that. Tongue tree. Tongue tree. Horrifying. Do with that what you will. I think we've covered that one enough. (laughs) Night fears.
1: Yes, we talked about that. Night fears. What
0: What the f*** are those? They could be anything you want. I love it. Yes. Night fears. You got to set up watch for that.
1: I also think that more campaigns should incorporate church bureaucracy being like just ridiculously complex and slow moving. 100%. And involve conclusions like, yes, digging up and burning the body would work, but that would be improper.
0: Yes, that's not okay. That's not We're okay. We're having little
1: fact finding committees where they just <laughs> sit around and talk to each other.
0: I went oink. I really like the idea that, like, a letter of, what was it? A letter of absolution will, like, put the dead back in the ground. Like, that's, that's like, on the one hand, that's a really cool way to, like, tie up a quest is you get a letter of absolution. But on the other hand, I really like this as, like, you're an Oathbreaker paladin or something, and you're like, okay, I could, like, actually repent or I could change my class or something. But instead, instead, you're like, Nah, I'm going to go get a letter of absolution. It'll be fine. And so your entire quest and your arc turns into trying to wrangle either from your archdeacon or the bishop or the god himself or itself or whatever. You're going to get this letter of absolution. And you're like, you're still going to be an Oathbreaker Paladin, but you have a letter of absolution, so it's okay.
1: All right, you did go a different direction with it. But I would like to add on to to the direction you're going. This would be a great villain for a campaign is like a powerful paladin or cleric or something whose church deals pretty freely in indulgences so that no matter what they do, like, they're fine. They never fall. They never lose their power. I love that. They're just bribing God. And like, I love
0: that actually. I love that because it's so realistic to... I guess you could say like our justice system or America's justice system where it's like, hey, if you have money and you pay off like the Supreme Court, then it's fine or like whatever, right? right. And so it, it would be infuriating for these player characters and your players to like go through and be like, but but you're the church, you're supposed to stand against this. And so then they have to take up that call to arms and find a way to get justice for the community or for the nation or whatever against this villain Who's legally protected and fine. Yeah. Because
1: of these indulgences. Right. And probably he's not just bribing the church. He's also bribing, like, the guard. He's also bribing the king. Like, you just have a villain whose power is, I mean, I like the idea of them being a high-level paladin who just never falls because of indulgences. I love that. The standout, like, ability they should have is just, like, they have money. And they, they can just, money. they can just pay people off. Yep. Indefinitely. And I love the, it. And the PCs have to deal with that.
0: Definitely. It's a good one. That's a good
1: one. The direction I thought you were going with that and that I want to bring up, not because I think it you could necessarily incorporate it into anything, just because I think it's funny that from the dead guy's point of view in that last story, he basically just extorted his way into heaven.
0: That's true.
1: Like he just harassed That's people great. and made himself a nuisance until he got an official letter of absolution so he could go to heaven.
0: I love it. 10 out of 10. He's like, you know what? I'm still here. I still have a mission in life.
1: <laughs> the squeaky wheel gets the clerical grease. Let's get I a move on.
0: <laughs> nice. I love that. On a somewhat more sober note, I really like this dance macabre sequence. And I don't think I've ever heard of that being included in a D&D game or in a TTRPG.
1: I think the problem is that you know that the players, even if they're like sensible enough to not try and fight it, they're going to try and stop and like talk to all of them. Like but interminably. Well, it, it undermines the atmosphere.
0: Eh, maybe, but then you could make it more like a, you know, like a Dante in Mm -hmm. hell thing where basically he just goes around and talks to everybody on the different layers of hell and so maybe like this could be a really great quest opening like all of us were killed by this one dude and we're trying to get justice we don't know how to get justice so we're just wandering around until we get justice yeah that's something you know or you could tie it into a player character's backstory and then it's like no no no, guys we can't fight this because my wife is there what is my wife doing on the back of this dying horse? Like what's up with that?
1: There you go. I see I was that that's the solution. Cause I was thinking yeah. like if you just say there's a procession of undead, like the cleric's gonna turn them or like they're yeah. gonna, they're oh, gonna sure. start preparing spells or something. Like they're you need they're, a good they're hook. gearing up for combat. So you have to have like a yep. reason to give them that like, guys, this is not a combat encounter.
0: Yep. Their favorite, most beloved NPC is in that procession. And that's how they figure out that like the town has been raised. That's good. You know, there's I think there's a lot of different ways you can do that to signal that it's not a combat encounter. But I don't know. I think I think that could be really fun to tie in. There you go. That's that's all the ones that I had. That's
1: a lot. That's all I've got too. We got a lot. Yeah.
0: All right. Our next one. How many ages hence shall this our lofty scene be acted over? Echoes in modern culture. I actually have one for this. Which was, one, the King's Highway, which we do see in Game of Thrones.
1: Right. Which is a, a real thing. Highway just used to mean, like, the, the, like, official road.
0: Yep. And then also, like, setting watch. Because this is something that we do routinely... In like D&D games and TTRPGs like okay you you go on the road the king's road and then you set up watch and you set a camp and you do you do that whole thing but it's fun to actually see that there is like a medieval precedent for this.
1: Yeah I do like they have a rotating watch system just like the one you'd see in D&D.
0: Yeah exactly because I was like I kind of figured like okay yeah sure but like how common was that?
1: Well only in Yorkshire where there are night fears.
0: I guess. But hey, it's I I don't know. I think it's really fun to have that precedent. So there you go. If you didn't know it was a real thing, now you know.
1: There's also, of course, as we've pointed out like twice now, Witcher three.
0: Yes, Witcher three.
1: We have we have talked about that. Good call. We've already covered it, but I had to mention it because it does belong in this category. True. Yes, it does. D and
0: D party. Do we? Who do we want? I want the we got we got the bishop of absolution.
1: Yeah, you know I think this this one we could actually this is one we've started skipping. But honestly, I think there's enough like people. that yeah. there's something to be done.
0: We could we could do could do that.
1: Uh, let's see who else to do, do. Any of the dead people like count?
0: I don't know. Like, do we do we actually want any of the dead people in a in a campaign as the party? I don't feel like they were particularly helpful.
1: True. I mean, most of the ones that are like worth. Mentioning, I think, are the ones who banish the undead people.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: we've got William Loudon.
0: Yep, sword guy.
1: Who cleaved his head in twain. Yep. Well, we could say um, Richard Roundtree, who lets his miscarried child go to heaven. Oh,
0: yeah. That's true. That's good, too. And then we have that bishop.
1: And then we have the bishop, yeah. Nice. There we go. That's, that's, a,
0: that's a pretty strong party. Yeah. You know, all things considered. You got a fighter. You got the cleric, and you got, what, a bard, sorcerer, maybe?
1: Yeah, whatever he is.
0: Yeah, he's flexible.
1: Yeah.
0: Nice, nice. Uh, now let's sit at ah, the kitchen table.
1: Hold on, there is food. Yes, because we, oh, are, told, got, uh, we are told specifically that toads wow. and snakes are the food of hell.
0: Come on. Toads and snakes. We can't
1: leave that out.
0: I uh, guess that's true. All right.
1: All right, there we go.
0: Would you eat it like a like a spaghetti? Like the toads are like meatballs and the snakes are like the pasta?
1: I feel like people do actually eat snake and they cut it up because they're very bony. I don't know if anyone eats toads or how they do it.
0: I don't know. Well, yeah, the French. That's you know, right, the French. The frog legs. Yeah. I just like the image of like a spaghetti bowl <laughs> of snakes and toads. Okay, all right.
1: Who knew that French food and infernal cuisine had so much in common? Or at least a major ingredient.
0: A major, major ingredient. There you go. Take what you will about the disposition of the French from that. Yeah. The Dungeon Master's Dictionary. All right. Terminology. Any interesting words? I really liked, um, what was it?
1: Unwanted?
0: Unwanted. Yeah, that was really
1: good. That's a good one. Unwanted with an O.
0: Myling. Yes. The preferred word for botchling yes
1: and all the and all of its synonyms in various languages yep. of which there are several
0: yep there's a lot for more tips on that go find the wikipedia yep night fears i think is a fun term
1: malefactor we've already mentioned but it's good Hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: we didn't really have any good words for like the actual spirits themselves they're pretty vague yeah. about what these things are
1: yeah yeah they're just the dead guy
0: yeah Street what can we learn from this text? First of all, nine out of ten dead things do not really want to hurt you. They're just annoying. Yes. So, you know, don't go aggro on them. They don't actually want to hurt you. You know, if one does, then, you know, go go for it. Then it's you cleave the its
1: head to the neck with your yes. sword.
0: Yes. And be thorough about it. But for the most part, you can just tell them off. Just tell them off. I feel like that would be great for children. Like, if you are worried about a monster under your bed, just tell it off. Yeah. And you'll you'll be okay. He's there to annoy you. He's not that scary.
1: I think there should be a kid's version of that, like, story with, I think it's <laughs> Snorri Goethe, who like oh, yeah. who threatens to sue the ghosts.
0: Yes. He's like, you guys cannot keep coming into my house. Yeah. I will sue you.
1: Yeah, imagine if you raise a kid on like, no, honey, if you think there's a monster under your bed, just tell him that he's not allowed and you'll sue.
0: Yeah, you can evict him. You can evict him.
1: I feel like this might have other negative effects on child development, (laughs) but but we'd have to experiment with it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Room for workshopping. All right, what else can we learn?
1: Oh, always double check the instructions when banishing the undead.
0: True. We learned that several times this episode. How about don't christen kids willy-nilly. You could learn that it's your kid.
1: That's true. That can cause trouble. You you got to you got to double check unless it's yeah. an emergency, I guess, which I think technically this one was.
0: This one was, yeah. But still, you, know, you got to be careful. That
1: can cause legal issues with mm-hmm. your marriages. With your spouse. Yeah. yeah. If your dead father says he's hanging fish at your door, don't (laughs) trust him. They're snakes and toes. They're snakes. How about just don't open the door? Like, that worked. That was was the correct response. Yeah, that was a good approach.
0: Absolutely. And also, yeah, don't brag about your good deeds.
1: Yeah, philanthropy can't make you a good person if that's the reason you're doing it. Yep. It has to be out of the goodness of your heart or it doesn't count.
0: Or it doesn't count. Yeah. That said, like, you know, find some fundraisers or like if you're doing one of those like, hey, I'm I don't know, like running a five K
1: for charity, like
0: yeah, like yeah, do those. Just make sure you're doing it for the right reason. Yeah. I think that's that's what I've got.
1: Anything else? Oh, yes, of course. You can bully your way into heaven by harassing your neighbors until yeah. they until they yeah. exercise you or absolve you
0: a pretty damn good one i feel like results may vary yes they could they could do the cross thing
1: they could chop your head but they might or, bur- they might or dig you up you. and burn you but they might just forgive your sins so you can leave
0: 50 yeah. 50 you know try it at your own risk there you go
1: best moment. what is the best moment
0: for me, it's a toss up between the letter of absolution because that's just really funny. Like mm-hmm. that whole story is really funny, and then it's between that and the mailing.
1: Yeah, you know, I think that one really does stand out. It, yeah,
0: because it's it's one that like actually has a good ending, kind of. Yeah, or at least it does for the the child, which yeah. I appreciate. Yeah. So that's my favorite.
1: Yeah, you know what? Yeah, I I honestly think that the kid getting a name and yeah standing up
0: and going yeah, yeah. That's, that's that's the best a good one. one yeah yeah the court first do any of the dead people count or are we only doing the living
1: i think that i would say they o- they don't count in their undead state but okay. if you can pick one of them and get the living version the living version before okay. they died before they died
0: i don't know if there are any like worthy ones yeah, Unless right. you want that Bavarian noble, <laughs> there's the sword guy. Mm-hmm. There's the bishop. I like him as well. And then there's the divorcee. Yeah, Roundtree. Roundtree. Yep. Yeah. I'm gonna go for the bishop. All right. I want the bishop because I he's got a sturdy head on his shoulders. He knows how to deal with the dead guys, and he also knows how to deal in the face of
1: peer pressure. All right, so let's see. Does this bishop have a name? Let's see if we can find it in case you need He's to write got it his,
0: down. his full title. Yeah,
1: it's just the, the Bishop of Lincoln. Okay, I'll write him down.
0: Calling him the Bishop of Absolution.
1: All right. I think I'm going to take William Loudon, the English soldier. That's L-A-U-D-U-N, by the way.
0: Yeah, I figured you were gonna pick him. I like him too.
1: Yeah, I I was expecting you to pick him, and then I was gonna go for the like Bavarian woman who had her her <laughs> husband come back, and she was just like not bothered no. by it, just like no reaction. She was like, She's like, yes, fine. dear, come in, sit down. And I was like, yeah, let's I talk. That. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Final rating. Oh, I guess we got to do all of these separately, don't we? Okay, so looks like last time we kind of grouped them. so if one of them told more than if one of these sources had more than one story like in a row we just combined them. Got it. All right so the first one we have is Walter Mapp that's the story of the Welsh malefactor and William Loudon and then the story of the guy wandering around in a hair shirt and the business with the cross over the grave.
0: Those have got to be like those are nines. What can you not love about those?
1: They are very good. I, I would have liked more. That's fair. They're a little short. Yeah. I'm going to give them... Actually, I'm going to give them a seven and a half. Because okay. I really think they, they could have stood to be more Longer. detailed. Yeah. Yeah. All right. The next one. Caesarius of Heisterbach, who told us about the toads and snakes and told us about how charity doesn't work when it's done for selfish reasons.
0: Yeah. Those are good, but they're too moralistic. I'll give I'll give this one a solid seven. Right. This one's a seven.
1: I'm giving these an eight because I like the moral that billionaire philanthropists are bullshit, <laughs> and I find the toads and snakes funny.
0: They are funny.
1: Also, tongue trees. Blech. All right, the story from Byland Abbey with the let's just call it a muling
0: Ooh, I'm gonna give this one the rare ten. Because I think it has everything that I like. It puts the blame where blame is due. It has cultural references that I can touch on. It has, like, it actually respects the woman. It has a twist ending with the divorce. Mm -hmm. You don't see that coming. So it's a little bit funny. But it's also really honorable and it deals with death in a really beautiful way. Yeah. So this one I'm giving the rare, the very rare 10 out of 10.
1: I'm going to, I'm close to that. I'm going to give it a nine and a half. I would have liked to hear more of the wife's side of the story and for that conversation at the end to be expanded on a little, because I feel like it was very abrupt okay. and we didn't really get all the, we didn't really get the, the full picture. And I'd like That's to that. That's
0: true. I would have liked to know the name that he picked. Yeah. You know, that would have been cool.
1: Also, like, just because this keeps running through my head whenever we talk about the story. Our enjoyment of this story and our and the fact that we think it is sweet does not imply anything about our political values. True. Regarding.
0: Anything, really.
1: Unborn yeah. fetuses, whatever. It's not relevant.
0: Not relevant to this at all, no. A death, particularly a death in childhood that presumably the mother didn't want, is a tragedy in 10 out of 10 cases.
1: All right. Okay. Let's see. Um... And then we've got our last story from William of Newburgh, the guy who lays in beds very heavily, riots about the town, and is eventually absolved. It's
0: good. It's funny. What's not to like? 8.5.
1: I'm going to match you with that. 8.5 feels right. Yep. It's fun. It just works. It's got some good words. It's got some good descriptions. I like the bureaucracy. I like how it ends. I just think it's good. Like, it's not great, but it's good.
0: But it's good. All right, what's our average here? It's pretty, pretty high.
1: Okay, according to the spreadsheet, my scores average out to 8.375, yours average out to 8.625, which come out exactly to 8.5 total as an average.
0: 8.5 overall. That's pretty good. Yeah. That's a good one. All right. Perfect.
1: Yeah. What did we give the last undead, guys? They got a 7.5. This one's better. This one
0: is better. All right. New record for our Halloween special. It's exciting. So, shall we... I think you have a special, like, final segment for us.
1: I do. I prepared Ooh. a thematically appropriate word horde. Uh, and now, we unlock the word horde. The segment we do very rarely because it requires me to do research ahead of time. And I research. Don't, I don't yep. usually have time for it. All right. So... Since I'm a bad person, I want to start this off by springing a pop quiz on Zoe.
0: Oh boy. Okay, here we go. Zoe. I'm ready.
1: Do you know what the pedantic definition of a gargoyle is? Like if you have a weird statue on a roof, what feature is technically necessary to make it a gargoyle? Horns? No.
0: No. Okay. What is? Is it a? D-? I feel like there's so many <laughs> gargoyles with d-.
1: It is it is not appearance based at all. It is only a gargoyle if it incorporates a water spout. That's where the word comes from. It's supposed <gasps> to direct water off the roof.
0: I didn't know that.
1: Fun fact for anyone who didn't know that. Second of two questions. I'm now not sure you'll get this one because it kind of requires the first one, but oh, do no. you know okay. what the ones that don't have the water spout are called?
0: I mean I just figured they were they were called statues. But no, what, what are they called?
1: They are called grotesques.
0: Oh, yeah, you've heard I that have before. heard of that. Yeah, yeah. Okay.
1: And that's the word I want to talk about. I want to talk about the origin of the term grotesque.
0: Got it. Okay. Interesting. I wonder, so why did Gargoyle end up in, like, common parlance instead?
1: That I'm not sure about. I think it might be because grotesque is a more widely applicable term. Yeah. What Pastmac meant by that is that the term grotesque is also used to describe things other than roof statues, whereas the word gargoyle is only used to describe roof statues. So it's kind of a natural semantic shift for gargoyle to come to mean all statues regardless of water spout capability and for grotesque to kind of be pushed out. It's just about, like, what words are already in use elsewhere. Also, real quick, an example of a fantasy author who knows the difference between a gargoyle and a grotesque, Terry Pratchett. He has sapien gargoyles in his Discworld books, and they have water spouts. Just throwing that out there. Anyway, back to the episode.
0: Huh, okay. Anyway.
1: Yeah. All right, so... This is a term you see often in discussion of medieval art, because not only does it refer to the aforementioned weird statues, but also to those hybrid creatures that you see in medieval marginalia. It's also one we're familiar with in general use as an adjective indicating that something is bizarre and unnatural, usually with a negative connotation. So I thought it was appropriate for our Halloween episode. Definitely. The original sense of grotesque in English appears in the early modern period. It's not a medieval word, I'm just talking about it because it has medieval relevance, and was used to describe an art style. Specifically, and I'm quoting the OED here a kind of decorative painting or sculpture consisting of representations of portions of human and animal forms fantastically combined and interwoven with foliage and flowers.
0: Ah. Oh.
1: So, like, it's. You've got to have, like, the, the foliated borders and stuff, typically. Mm-hmm. But most importantly, you've got to have these forms that are combined in, like, fantastical and unnatural ways.
0: Ways, yeah.
1: Which is why it's used to describe those statues in Marginalia.
0: Hmm, that makes sense.
1: The term entered English through French, which got it from Italian but it's actually still easy to break down in English because both the root and the suffix are ones English has also separately borrowed from Italian. Like, we've, ha- we've got the same components. Makes sense. So, the suffix, esque, means, to quote the OED again, resembling the style or partaking of the characteristics of. Often appended to the name of an artist, such as Kafka esque. Mm-hmm. but it can also be attached to just regular words. Fans of literary criticism are probably familiar with the carnivalesque, Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I expect a lot of people know the word burlesque, though that last one has changed meaning somewhat in the United States (laughs) over the last hundred years. Yep. Different than it used to mean. So, what style or characteristics are we talking about when we say grotesque? The root word is grotto, meaning a sort of cave. Mm. Which itself is cognate with crypt, both coming from a Latin word meaning an underground vault which in turn comes from a Greek word meaning hidden, which we also use in English words like cryptic. All of these words are from, like, the same root. Same root, yep. And that brings us to a kind of weird place. Why is this art style described as resembling the style of caves, vaults, or hidden places? Well, time for a disclaimer. The OED considers this next bit speculative, but it also refers to it as, quote, intrinsically plausible, unquote. (laughs) So we're going to roll with it. Like, they don't have any direct evidence, but they're like, yeah, that sounds right.
0: It makes sense. Which is what we do here on the podcast, so.
1: It seems that in late medieval and early Renaissance Italy, people digging basements and laying foundations just kept coming across these underground spaces they did not know were there. I bet you can guess what they were. Like medieval ruins. Roman ruins.
0: Oh.
1: We're in Italy. They are digging up stuff from the Roman Empire.
0: Yep. Yep.
1: And those ruins contained murals and reliefs and stuff in a style different from the ones currently popular, but people kind of vibed with the imagery and started Mm -hmm. imitating it.
0: Like, we're gonna do that.
1: Yeah. Then we get this art style that they call grotesque because it's the kind of thing you find in these underground grottos.
0: Oh, that's so cool. Yeah.
1: So, in conclusion... If you say something is grotesque, you are arguably saying... This is the sort of thing that should be painted on the wall in a weird Italian basement.
0: I like it. Yes. I like it.
1: Listeners, Beautiful. go forth and abuse this knowledge.
0: Indeed. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in to our Halloween special. And if you do partake in Halloween, Halloween, or Day of the Dead festivities, or anything else... Surrounding October Or just the changing of the seasons
1: And yeah, Day of the Dead is technically in November But it's also going to happen before our next episode comes out So happy Dia de los Muertos also
0: Yeah! Anyway, point is Happy celebrations all around And enjoy the spooky season Yes There we go Thank you for listening to The Maniculum Podcast. Please consider leaving a rating and review on iTunes to help support us. If you're interested in exclusive merch and continuous exclusive content, consider becoming a patron on Patreon. To see our sources and our notes, check out our blog on themaniculumpodcast.com. And hey, come get involved in our community. We have a Discord group that you can join, and you can find links to our server on our Facebook group, The Maniculum Podcast, our Twitter, at Maniculum, and our Instagram, at Maniculum Podcast. Original music by Walker. Check out their project, Sugar Glass, on Spotify.
1: However, before we do that, I think the dog is standing by the door. I can't actually see the door from where I am, but she walked in that direction, so I've got to go check. Nope, I opened the door and she turned around and walked in the other direction. That was not what she was after. And she's, she's very confused because she's also uh, lost sight in her remaining eye. So, I'm having to lead her around a lot and kind of guess at where she's trying to go. She is. Yes, okay, so. Episode.